It was one of the most emotional farewells in the whole Bible. It was a meeting between the Apostle Paul and some of his very good friends. Paul wanted to see them one last time because he wanted to say goodbye. He had spent years with this group. They had worked incredibly hard side by side, planting a new church and teaching people to follow Jesus. They had seen great victories, but they also experienced a ton of opposition. Their lives had been in danger multiple times, but on this day, Paul was headed back to Jerusalem, which was a journey of more than a thousand miles. He knew he would never see these friends again, not in this lifetime. So Paul stood in front of them and he said, this is it. And he gave this remarkable farewell speech and then it was time to go. But before he left, there was this moment where they said goodbye. The book of Acts chapter 20 records that moment. It's a powerful picture. It says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Clearly, this was a hard goodbye. Have you ever had one of those? Maybe it was when your son or your daughter moved out of the house for the first time. Maybe it was when you relocated to a different city or a different state and you left a bunch of family and good friends behind. Maybe it was at a funeral. I'd have to say, funerals are some of the most difficult goodbyes we ever experience in life. And you know what makes farewells so hard? It's love. The more you care about someone, the tougher it is to be separated. So here in Acts chapter 20, these friends obviously had a very strong bond. And I have to point out, these are all grown men. They're standing around weeping and hugging and kissing. Now, some men are a little more in touch with their feelings, but a lot of guys don't act like that. So what's the story here? What's behind this strong connection that made it so hard to say goodbye? Well, that's the story I want to tell you today. We're in the second to last week of our series through the book of Acts. We've been looking at the earliest days of Christianity, and we've seen the church at a time when it was most like what Jesus intended it to be. If you want to know what the Christian life is supposed to look like, Acts is a pretty good place to start. But you know, the name of this series is Moving Forward. We're not just looking at the past. We're asking God to help us restore this New Testament version of the church here in the present. We're also asking God to lead us into the future so we can be who he wants us to be and do what he calls us to do. And it's especially important to be doing this right now because we're living through this huge time of disruption. And the church has been affected just like everything else. But disruption can be a very good thing. It forces us to look around and say, okay, things are very different than they used to be. So where do we go from here? What does it really mean to follow Jesus and be the church? Is it about coming to a building, singing a few songs, listening to a talk, and then spending the rest of the week trying to do good things and stop doing bad things? Now, that, that view of the church is very inadequate. But when you throw that old paradigm out the window, which is exactly what 2020 did, what's left? Well, if you've been with us on this journey through the book of Acts, 
you're seeing what it's about. The church was designed by God to be a group of people whose lives have been transformed because of Jesus. And this group is empowered by God to go out and change the world and build his kingdom. It's not passive, it's active. And it's not an individual thing, it's a community thing. And it's not consumer-based, it's servant-based. And it's not about us, it's about Jesus. So when we read the book of Acts, we see a story that began almost 2,000 years ago, but that story continues today. The torch was passed down from Jesus to his disciples, to the next generation and the generation after that, and so on and so on until we get to our time. Now, along the way, a lot of so-called Christians got it wrong. The church has been marred by scandals and division and power-hungry leaders who took things in a tragic direction. But we can also look at history and see lots of examples of Christians who got it right. Through the power of God's Holy Spirit, there has always been an authentic church that remained faithful to the calling of Christ. So today, we're going to look at the book of Acts, and we'll see how Paul passed the torch to a group of leaders who would continue the work of God's kingdom. This story will help us understand how the church today can pick up that torch and keep running with it. Now, this will be very relevant for all of us at Plum Creek and everyone else who is a part of a church. But if you aren't yet a follower of Jesus, I believe this will be helpful for you, too. You'll get a picture of what the church is supposed to look like. So let's dive in. We're going to focus on one particular church in one particular city. The city is called Ephesus. It's one of the many places where Paul planted a church during his missionary journeys. Scripture tells us that Paul planted at least 14 churches, and the actual number is probably higher than that. But during Paul's third missionary journey, he spends most of his time in the city of Ephesus, which is on the western coast of modern-day Turkey. Now, Paul didn't usually stay in one place very long, but he was in Ephesus for about three years. And in the time when Paul was alive, Ephesus was the fourth largest city of the Roman Empire. Now, in the United States, our fourth largest city is Houston. So I guess you could say Ephesus was like the Houston of the Roman Empire. Now, I don't know if the Ephesians would like that comparison, but I'm not sure the Houstonians would like it either. At any rate, though, Ephesus was a very impressive city. They had a Roman amphitheater that sat 25,000 people. Many of the streets were paved with marble. There were Roman baths, gladiatorial games, and large markets. There were also many prostitutes and a lot of gambling. But beyond all of that, this city was most famous for religion. Ephesus was probably the most important religious center of the Roman world. And a big reason for that was their great temple, the Temple of Artemis. You might have heard about the seven wonders of the ancient world. These wonders were the most amazing structures of their time. The list includes the Great Pyramid at Giza and the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Well, the Temple of Artemis was in that club, that elite group of wonders. This building was 425 feet by 225 feet. It was surrounded by 127 columns that were all 60 feet high. This building was beyond impressive. It was awe-inspiring. 
So what was all the fuss about? Who was this Artemis? Well, in Greek mythology, Artemis was the goddess of wild animals, the hunt, vegetation, chastity, and childbirth. She was kind of an all-purpose utility goddess. But Artemis was one of the most widely worshipped figures in the world at that time, and her fan club headquarters was right in the middle of Ephesus. So knowing all of that, Imagine Paul and his little mission team showing up to preach to these Ephesians about Jesus. Seems like a tough job, doesn't it? Well, there is a pattern that happens in the book of Acts over and over again. Paul travels to a town, and he first goes to preach in the Jewish synagogue. Some of the Jews come to believe that Jesus is the true Messiah, while other Jews think Paul is crazy and they try to run him out of town. But once Jesus starts changing lives, it was hard for any town to stop that momentum. And that pattern certainly held true in Ephesus. The Ephesian church began with a small core group, but it quickly started to grow. They rented out a public lecture hall, and Paul preached there almost every day for about two years. The people not only heard powerful messages, they saw miracles. And the name of Jesus started to spread all over the city. Now, naturally, there was persecution along the way. That happened just about everywhere Paul went. And based on one of his letters, it sounds like he was imprisoned and beaten in Ephesus. But one day, the tension came to a head. There was a man in the city named Demetrius. He was a member of a group of silversmiths. And this group made little silver idols of Artemis. And they noticed that this new Jesus movement was starting to cut into their profits. As large numbers of people converted to Christianity, they didn't seem to want those silver idols anymore. So Demetrius decided something had to be done before they lost their livelihood. And Demetrius gathered a crowd and he explained that Paul has been leading the good people of Ephesus astray. And if things don't change, the glory of Artemis would be tarnished and their whole way of life could disappear. At that point, the crowd got fired up. They started to chant, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And they yelled that phrase over and over again while more and more people joined the crowd. They eventually moved into that huge amphitheater and it looked like a riot was about to break out. Now, Paul saw this as a great opportunity to tell people about Jesus and he wanted to jump onto the stage and start preaching. However, his friends pulled him back. They were like, Paul, don't be crazy. That mob will kill you. So he was reluctant, but Paul agreed to stay outside the theater. And it took quite a while for city officials to calm the crowds and get them to disperse. But at that point, Paul was a very controversial person in the city. And he didn't want to cause unnecessary trouble for the church. So Paul got a mission team together and they left for Greece. He was gone for months, working as a missionary and also writing books of the Bible. <laughs> this guy really made the most of his time. Eventually, though, Paul sensed a calling from the Holy Spirit. He believed that God was leading him to return to Jerusalem. You may remember, Paul was once a Pharisee in Jerusalem. He was part of this very strict sect of Jewish leaders. Before he became a disciple of Jesus, he was known for persecuting Christians. 
But now Paul was a Christian himself, and he knew that many people in Jerusalem were still rejecting the message of the gospel up to that point. And he so wanted to see his people find freedom and eternal life through Jesus. So Paul made his way toward Jerusalem, traveling by ship down the coast. And his route would take him very close to Ephesus. And he realized this was a chance to connect with his old friends one last time. Paul stopped at a town called Miletus, which is about 30 miles south of Ephesus. And in Acts 20:17, we read, From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. He wanted to connect with these elders, the leaders of the church. And this was not just an opportunity to say goodbye. It was a chance to leave them with some final instructions. So here in Acts chapter 20, we have a record of what Paul said to these friends. And it's interesting. In the entire book of Acts, this is the longest speech directed specifically to Christians. Most of the sermons and talks in Acts are directed to people who are not Christians. But here, Paul gives a charge to the Ephesian church, but this charge actually applies to all churches today. I won't read every word of this speech, but I will point out some of the main themes. Let's start with verse 18. Right here, the elders have just met up with Paul. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. By the way, don't think of Asia, the continent here. Paul is referring to a much smaller region in Western Turkey. But he goes on and he says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So Paul began this speech by looking back. His ministry had been rewarding, but it was tough. Paul made quite a few enemies, and it would have been much easier if he had softened his message and made his preaching less controversial. But do you see what he says here? I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. So what does he mean by that? Well, later in the speech, Paul said, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. So that means he didn't leave anything out. He did tell them about God's great love for them. He told them that Jesus died to pay the penalty for their sins. And if they put their faith in him, they could live with him forever. But he also preached about the more difficult aspects of God's will. In verse 21 here, Paul says that both Jews and Greeks must turn to God in repentance. To repent means to change your mind and then change your behavior. And when someone tells you to repent, they're saying, you need to change. You're headed in the wrong direction. And guess what? People don't like to hear that. But this is a vital part of a healthy church. Paul is communicating something very important here. He's telling the church to preach the full gospel of Jesus, both love and truth. Now, for someone like me or anyone else who preaches or teaches on a regular basis, we have to take this very seriously, and I promise you, I do. As I said a few weeks ago, I want to lead with love because that's what Jesus did. 
but I never want to water down or sugarcoat the truth. And I, I encourage you to hold me accountable to that. But what if you're normally the listener instead of the speaker? Well, I think there's a challenge for you as well. There's two things, actually. Number one, as a member of the church, you should expect to be reminded of God's unfailing love. We have to come back to that again and again and again. Never forget that no matter what you do, you will never change the fact that God has a love for you that is far stronger than anything you can find in this world. But here's the second challenge. When you're a part of the church, you should be ready and willing to have your toes stepped on. And why is that? Well, because we all need to be called out now and then. You and me and everybody. It's so easy for us to start making bad decisions and give in to temptation. And we all need to be held accountable and encouraged to get back in line. But listen, don't let that be about someone's opinion. The toe-stepping has to come from Scripture. God's Word is the standard here, not our culture and not some joker who just wants to tell you what to do. So that's one theme in Paul's speech. But let's move on to the next one. In this section, he talks about himself, but he sets an example for all of us. He says, if you're truly following Jesus and you're doing what he asks you to do, be ready to suffer. Let's read what he says in verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Whatever you might say about Paul, you can't say he was a coward. He just didn't seem to care what people said about him. He didn't seem to care what people did to him. It is amazing what he was willing to endure. It's amazing what he was willing to sacrifice and you know, a good definition of the word sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. And in this case, Paul loved the people of Jerusalem more than he loved his own comfort or even his own safety. He desperately wanted those people to know Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. But according to the last verse I just read, Paul's greatest love was Jesus. He says, compared to Jesus, Compared to doing what he has called me to do, my own life is worth nothing. So you see, Paul is giving up something he loves, his own life, for something he loves more, Jesus. Now, we can look at that and think it's kind of extreme, but the truth is, Paul is right. Whatever you might go through as a follower of Christ, whatever you might have to give up, Jesus is worth it. He's always worth it. And that's another important part of this charge. From there, Paul has a few words to say about leadership specifically. He looks at the elders of that church and he says, guys, you have to lead well. Let's read verse 28. Paul says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Paul wants these elders to know that God has given them a very serious responsibility. 
He's appointed them to be shepherds. And a shepherd is responsible to feed the flock, to provide for the flock, and protect the flock. So an elder should be doing all of these things for the church. The role of an elder is incredibly important because the church is so precious to God. Jesus bought the church with his blood. Paul goes on and he tells these elders, be ready because attacks will come from both inside and outside the church. And of course, those attacks still continue today. And here in the present, for everyone who is an elder or some kind of leader, Paul's charge is to take your role seriously. Now, if you are not in leadership, I encourage you to pray for our elders, as well as our deacons and our staff. These are all such important roles, and it's not easy, and we don't always get it right. So we really need those prayers. But there's another challenge for the church in general here. The challenge is for all of us to stay connected to the flock. And this is especially important here in 2020. This year, it has been so easy to be disconnected from the church. We've never seen anything like it in our lifetime. And yes, there are many valid reasons why it's been hard to stay engaged. But I just want to speak directly here. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need the church. And the church needs you. We were not meant to do this alone. And I know that staying connected is going to be, it's going to be complicated for the near future. But make this a priority. There are three basic points of connection, and we can't neglect any of them. Number one, stay connected to our weekend worship gathering. And if that's in person, great. If that's online, great. Just stick with it. Number two, stay connected to relationships with other believers. This is why we started those small groups of three to four this summer. Relationships like that are not optional. And number three, stay connected to serving in some kind of ministry. Even though things are strange right now, we still have opportunities to serve and be a part of building God's kingdom. In fact, later in this service, you're going to hear about an amazing opportunity to serve. And I'm so excited about this because it will make a difference in our community. The last theme I'll mention from Paul's speech is about generosity. Paul points out that in all of his time in Ephesus, he was never working for personal gain. He wasn't in it for the money. He wasn't looking for wealth or prestige. He said, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see that? It's like I said earlier, the church is not consumer-based, it's servant-based. And it's not about selfishness, it's about generosity. So this is Paul's charge to the church. Be givers, not takers. I love that quote from Jesus here. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, that quote doesn't show up in any of the four gospel books about the life of Jesus. And if Paul didn't mention it here, we wouldn't even know that Jesus said it. But doesn't that sound just like Jesus? And isn't it so true? As you become more mature, you, you stop caring so much about what you get because you've learned the joy of giving. And that generosity should be one of the hallmarks of the church. So that was the end of Paul's speech. But there's one more theme I need to point out, and it comes from that scene right before Paul gets back on the ship to sail away. Let's read it again. 
When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So this part of Paul's charge was not something he said. It was something he did. Paul's charge is to love well. Now that we know the background behind this moment, is it any surprise that these men have such an emotional farewell? Because they're like a band of brothers. They, they served in the trenches. They won some great battles. They took some hard hits. But they stood shoulder to shoulder. And they were united by their commitment to the same cause. They all bowed before the same Lord and King. Paul and the Ephesians were from very different cultures. But they all had Christ in common. And that's one final truth for the church today. A shared commitment to Christ is a foundation for deep friendships. Now, you might look at me and say, I'm not sure I'd hang out with that guy. But if we have Jesus in common, that's enough. And if we serve together and work together for the same cause, we can have a connection that continues all through this life and on into eternity. That's a powerful thought. And it's all the more reason for the church to love well. So, after that tearful goodbye on the shore, Paul sailed away. He passed the torch, and then it was up to the Ephesian church to carry it forward. But I have to give a little epilogue here. This wasn't quite the end of Paul's connection with this church. About five years later, Paul wrote a letter. This letter is in your Bible. It's called Ephesians. And in this letter, you can tell that Paul still has a strong affection for this group of Christians. He says, guys, I've heard that you still have a strong faith in Jesus and a strong love for God's people. And I just keep thanking God for all of you. And I keep praying for you. If you read through this entire letter to the Ephesians, you'll see that Paul lays out a detailed blueprint for how the church should live. And clearly, he's not talking about a Sunday morning only kind of thing. He's talking about how we live every day. He teaches about marriage and parenting and resisting temptation. He talks about the love of God and the armor of God, which can help us stand strong when the enemy attacks. So with this letter, Paul continued to care for the church of Ephesus long after he left town. But you know, I also have to give an epilogue to the epilogue. At the very end of the New Testament, the very end of the Bible, we find the book of Revelation. And you may know of Revelation as a book of prophecy, and that's definitely accurate. But early on in Revelation, Jesus sends several specific messages to several specific churches. And Ephesus is one of those churches that gets a message from Jesus. And at first, he has some good things to say. He compliments the Ephesians on some of their good works. And he acknowledges the fact that They've stood up under persecution. But then Jesus has this to say. Revelation 2, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. I hate to read that. Jesus says, you don't love me or each other like you did in the beginning. You are doing some good things, but you're losing sight of the main thing. Now, the book of Revelation was written probably 40 years after Paul said farewell to the Ephesian elders. So most likely that group is gone by this point. 
But do you see what happened? Paul passed the torch to those elders, and they passed the torch to the next generation, and it went on from there. But every generation of the church has to make their own decision to be faithful, to make Jesus their first love and follow God's leading through the power of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, that faithfulness began to decline in Ephesus. And based on what we know from history, it looks like the Ephesian church died out sometime in the 100s. But you know what? The global church did not die. The authentic church has always had a strong presence in this world, ever since the beginning. And that will always be true until Jesus comes back. But today we have to ask ourselves, are we going to pick up that torch? Are we here at Plum Creek going to be faithful as we move into the future? I believe that we will. I'm praying that we will. But we can't ever be distracted from our first love. We can't be distracted from our mission. We're going to keep working to build God's kingdom. We're going to continue to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Last week was our second Sunday back in the building for worship services. And it was so great to see Emily Nato get baptized. In case you missed that, let's watch it on video. She's been thinking about this for a while. I said, you know what? I think God's moving in my life. I need to make that decision to follow him with my life. And so, Emily, I'm going to have you repeat after me. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and my personal Lord and Savior. How awesome. And now... One of the most influential teachers in her life, outside of her mom, um, has, uh, has the privilege of baptizing her. She's looked up to John Worth and his faith and said, I want him to do this. I want him to be part of that because he's been that example for me. So John now gets the privilege to baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what we love to see here at Plum Creek. We love to see people saying yes to Jesus. We love to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And I want you to know, if you've been listening today and you know that you need to surrender your life to Jesus and be baptized, please let us know. You can go to our website and get in touch with us, plumcreek.org connect. We'd love to talk to you about getting connected with Jesus and with Plum Creek. But for all of us who are already a part of this church, let's take this week to consider Paul's charge to the church in Ephesus. Let's make a commitment to be the kind of church he's talking about. This week's action steps will come directly from Paul's speech. We'll send these action steps by email, and we'll also put them on the Plum Creek Facebook page. So go check out those options. Talk it over with your group of three to four. And let's go live this out. Let's go be the church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the example of Paul and so many faithful Christians throughout history. Lord, I pray that we will be willing to pick up that torch and run with it today and that you will give us the power and the strength and the boldness and the love to do just that. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.